Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of DevOps Unbound. DevOps Unbound is a bi-weekly video series uh, featuring relevant topics in DevOps. We go wherever we think DevOps is going and what we need to shine a light on. DevOps Unbound is sponsored by our good friends at Tricentis, and we thank them for their sponsorship. In addition to the bi-weekly DevOps Unbound show, of which you're going to watch one right now, hopefully, um, every month or so we also do a DevOps live roundtable with an expanded panel that's live and open to the general public for questions as well. This episode, of course, is, is a recorded one, not a live roundtable. But if you go to DevOps Unbound or on DevOps.com, you can see the schedule if you'd like to perhaps attend a live roundtable in the future. But with that out of the way, let me jump into this episode's topic. Leading a DevOps transformations, lessons learned, and I couldn't think of a better panel to, to have us do this. You know, for me, DevOps, leading a DevOps transformation has always been kind of synonymous with my friend Gary Groover, Groover, who wrote a book, Leading the Transformation, which early on in my in DevOps.com, uh, you know, when we first launched, was was a big a big staple of what we were preaching. Then, Gary, welcome to DevOps Unbound. Maybe a little introduction about you, your company, and your background. Hi, Alan. Great to be here. I'm Gary Groover. I've led several large transformations. Probably the most one you've heard of most is the one at HP, where we transformed and got a two to three X improvement in productivity. I've written four books in this space, and I spend my time now trying to do everything I possibly can to help organizations transform how they do software development because it had such an impact on me and the businesses that I was part of. Fantastic. Okay. Next is a woman who is also no stranger to DevOps transformations herself. A lot of them in the government and and government contractor world, uh, where she lives a lot now. It's Tracy Bannon. Hi, Tracy. Hey, hi there. Thank you for the invite. Um, my my background is as a software architect and engineer, so I've been living DevOps for a long time because I needed to get software into the hands uh, of the end users and I needed to do it efficiently. Part of that required us to get that transformational thinking going. So I, I do spend time like Gary does uh, in the middle of my client and my sponsor's spaces, helping them to understand, right, really talking straight with them about the differences that they have, they're going to, the different thought um, mental model that they have to bring forward. Because uh, it's not easy, but I know we're going to get into that today. Really excited. Um, I work currently with the MITRE Corporation. They're federally funded research and development. What that means is that I don't compete with industry. Congress chartered us specifically to provide that expert leadership to the government to help them move in the right direction. So, a little bit different perspective. Really happy to be here. Thank you, Tracy. Last but not least, at least, is William Berry. Hey, Will, William, welcome to DevOps Unbound and maybe a little introduction. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Alan. It's great to be here and great to be here with this panel. Um, so I'm Will Berry. I lead uh, our business engagement at Tricynthus. Uh, I help our customers with aligning our initiatives or their initiatives to continuous testing um, so that they're able to de-risk that 
aspect of delivery, be able to make those timeframes deliver faster, um, and being able to achieve those, those goals that they have set forth. Great, and thank you for joining us. So guys, the topic's DevOps transformation. When I first started DevOps.com, I was excited to see all these companies undergoing DevOps transformation. And I, I really relished talking to as many practitioners, representatives of other of organizations as I could, to see patterns, to see you know, what was emerging as what was the best way to do this, right? Because it represents, there, there was the cultural aspect and the tools and the people and the processes, right? But what was the best way to bring it together? And, and also remember when I started DevOps.com, there was this silly, in retrospect, silly argument of whether DevOps was something just for startups and Silicon Valley unicorns, or as Gene Kim would say, was it just for horses as well, right? The enterprise. Were, were, were large enterprises able to adopt a DevOps kind of mindset? And there was, there were like, believe it or not, Gary, I'm sure you remember this. There were fights raging, you know, on the, on the Twitter sphere and the blogosphere about was DevOps an enterprise thing? And to me, I always thought so. And then, then you know, Consensus was, yeah, of, of course. Stage two was, okay, so all these companies started saying, okay, we're going to do a DevOps transformation. And you know what? A lot of them didn't get the results they were expecting. You know, and there was this loser tech. This DevOps stuff don't work. Um, so, Gary, I'm going to ask you to kick it off. You know, I've given a little historical perspective. Do you think I'm crazy? Is that... No, what but, or what, no, but the, the, the debate that I've had with Gene over years is if you've got a large system of people that need to work together, the things that you're going to do are different than you do it if it, with a small team. Exactly. And, and, and a lot of the debate that I get in with Gene is Gene saying, no, no, this is how the small teams do it. So now we need to make the large teams do it like the small teams do it. And that, that, just, that just doesn't work. And fundamentally, I think that's why a lot of DevOps things struggled and failed. But small companies don't necessarily succeed either because, it, it, so first of all, it's not about doing DevOps. Alan, you've heard me say this before. I get so yeah. peeved when people say, oh, we need to do DevOps. They'll bring me in and say, help us. We need to do DevOps. We need to start to transform so we can do DevOps. And I'll push back and I'll say, Why? What exactly are you trying to accomplish, right? Let's let's get back to brass tacks. Let's have a reason that we're doing something and then we'll track towards it. We'll adopt the principles that are appropriate for you. But I've seen small organizations fail because of, it is pursuant to your context. And I think that's where you're going, Gary. You got to know the context of that organization. You got to understand what its business objectives are, its engineering objectives are, and its people. And then you figure out, which pattern might apply to them? Because it's it's not going to be, there's no lather, rinse, repeat recipe. There's not a singular playbook for this. And that unfortunately is what everybody's looking for. They're looking for that playbook. I, I just, I need the checklist of what I need to do. Can you give me a book? Because I'll just follow that. You know, Tracy, they've seen many an organization where they will spin off a group, sort of a skunk work project, like back mm -hmm. in the 40s and 50s, right? <laughs> Kelly with the, the uh, X1 and things. 
And those can work. They can work as a, as a start, but oftentimes they become a thing themselves. And then they hit the corporate, you know, uh, the white corpuscles, right. That come out and attack the, the foreign object. Uh, so I think it's all in the context of the organization. Mm-hmm. If you're, if you're savvy about what makes an organization tick, we're all about data. We're all about measurement. We're all about whatever it is, finance, whatever it might be. Um, and know how they adopt change or don't. Um, you've got to sort of build in the psychology of, okay, great. How do things get adopted here? How do people get on board? And it's not never easy, but it can be a lot harder if you if you sort of walk in with the bright, shiny knight and sword and we're, we're the new savior of the day and poof, you're the first one to get skewered and taken out to, <laughs> to the back. Yeah. And, and Mitch, I think you hit it. I mean, it's an organizational mindset and you can kind of see it today. I mean, you can see the responsiveness of what companies do in a market and what their competitors do. And you can see who has that mindset and who does it by based on whether or not if I release like a new phone type strategy, can T-Mobile respond? Can AT&T respond? And who responds the quickest to be able to address that attack? I was having a conversation yesterday with a fellow by the name of Steven Spear. Um, he's a professor at MIT Sloan. He's done a lot of, yep. you know, had a lot of really know, good thought leadership. Well. And we were talking yep. about the cultural overlay um, and how that makes a difference because we keep we keep looking for that recipe. We keep not understanding what the culture is. Now, I don't push for culture change. I never push for culture change because if you came into my house and said, you need to change your culture, the first thing I'm going to do is put my hand up and say, no, I don't. But I am into culture building and culture understanding because we build a culture together. So the cultural part means a lot. And I'll go back to what Mitch said about context, understanding the context, the cultural context of that organization. When you think about government um, specifically, that's where I'm living a lot right now, especially on the DRD side of the house. They are in a zero defect, like low risk tolerance, right? They need to make sure that it's right the first time. Well, that adds another level of complexity to the, to the mix. So yeah, I want to go fast, but how fast is appropriate? I want to adopt these principles. And how, how many of those principles do I apply that allow me to get there in a cyber secure, safe way, right? How do I make sure the missile hits the target? Um, how do I make sure that the plane is flying the right way? Oh, I mean, it's you, William, you brought up uh, about the you know continuous testing and what Tricentis does in that realm. It's interesting that the transformation has to include testing in a way that it hasn't done. And it's not just that automated unit test, but just automate the unit test and we'll be fine. Get some high code coverage. Hey, hit 90% code coverage. It's not that, right? There's a, a bigger, broader set of this. And I want to I tr- bring myself back though. Something that y'all said earlier is that it matters that understanding the context of the organization matters, but where do you start? So if you're walking in the very first time to meet somebody new, Gary, how do you approach counseling, I'll use that term, counseling a new organization that you're meeting, whether they've been in a government space, whether they are international, whether they are a small U.S. startup, where do you start with that that exchange of knowledge to to figure out how to help them? I I tend to start by trying to understand what their problem is and, and trying to figure out what they're doing. If I can get the leaders to engage not just in empowering the team and getting out of the way, but really trying to take the time to understand how their current processes work. 
and work with them to try to figure out how to make the waste in their current processes visible and then spend the time to let them pick the ideas that they think will help the most. I don't ever go in and do DevOps. I think that's the most, I think it's the most disservice we've done to the industry. If, yep. if you went to, if it's kind of like trying the automobile industry, trying to copy Toyota in the eighties, eventually they figured out that wasn't working and it was stupid. Mm-hmm. The software industry stuck trying to copy what worked for other people instead of trying to create a culture of continuous improvement and letting the organization pick the ideas that they will champion, the ideas that they will embrace, and the ideas that they will invest in making those improvements. And if we can't get the leaders to do that, you're never going to see the organization transform. So let me comment on that. You can't change human nature. And there are certain, in the technology industry, we emulate success. We emulate, if you succeed, right? How many business plans did we see seven, eight, nine years ago that said, I want to be the Uber of, right? I want to be the Uber of testing. I want to be the Uber of, of you know, name, name a business model because what Uber did, I want to be the Uber of. I want to be the Twitter of, right? In the technology industry, this is what VCs whip out their checkbooks for, right? And, and so you're going to get that. I, I don't know how you avoid that. But, but if you go into one of Tracy's clients that's developing a missile launch type system and you go, let me tell you what Netflix did and how they made it work and how they had these teams, they, they are going to check out. No, no, yeah, they're going to go beyond checking place. out. They're, they're going to dig their heels in so hard that they're going to shoot down any idea that you ever had, and you're never going to make a bit of progress. You become the so, next so missile that, target, I think. But hold right. on. It's, in, it's actually in between. So <laughs> okay. there are. So Gary's right that depending on the audience, some of them will just they'll get ashen. They'll look down, and then they'll put their hand up, and they'll say, go away. But there is a growing body of folks, right, that have come into this. They've grown up as those as those developers. They've been hitting up against this, and they are now becoming those leaders. So there is an amazing undercurrent that's out there, and I'm getting to work with them firsthand. They are looking for that air cover, so to speak, right? They're looking for those most, you know, they want to go the whole way up to the Pentagon. They want to go to Congress. They want people weighing in. And here's where it comes tracks back to the problem that you talked about, Alan. We're not talking straight and we're not getting the messages out that it's not about copycatting, but it's about learning from. If we go into it and say, I don't want to use the Netflix model. I don't want to use the Uber model. I want to look at it and I want to be informed by it. And I want to juxtapose it against my unique context. That's where we help to get real success, incremental improvement. But we also have to come back to, you know, Learning fast, failing small, failing cheap is okay. That's a mindset shift, regardless as to the industry. The, we always say fail fast, but people react to that. So say learn fast, but fail small. And if you can start to fail small, surface it, allow it to be seen, allow there to be transparency into the failure, discuss it openly. 
that in my mind and in my observation, that's actually transformational in nature because people start to look at that and glom onto it. Now, Mitch, you mentioned something, which is when you spin off this group and you say, okay, you guys go be that new DevOps group. Can you guys go establish how DevOps work and you guys be a pilot project? The problem is when they succeed and they come back and try to scale it, well, they've been partitioned off as though they're a .com, right? They're over here. They do this amazingness. And what they did isn't necessarily scalable as is. And there's another failure point that happens because now you're in an organization, an enterprise that's got a unicorn team that did great things. How do I scale that? Well, I don't just pick it up and copy it. Now I have to look at how information flows, how I go about teamification when I have lots of different folks coming from different consultancies and contractors. Not all software is written by developers and by organizational um, resources that are owned by one company. It's actually getting to be kind of rare. So, so that, I mean, that's it. That's what I see is, is the biggest challenge a lot of times when it comes to speed is the management layer is ready for it. Um, the management teams, they want to be able to do it, but they, the executive layer still operates in a very you know, project-based, initiative-based thought process. And, and so like you see this, like this was supposed to play into this larger role of how I roll out, you know, DevOps across my enterprise. So I went to this, this team and I did this, but it was still in this big initiative picture. It wasn't allowing teams to fail fast. It wasn't creating that environment where these managers can really dive into what they know and figure it out and drive it. And then have somebody else consolidate all that at the same time at that that larger level. We, we're still very much when we sit in a boardroom, we talk years and we talk plans, and we we execute against it in that manner. We don't we don't always necessarily break it down into these tidbits that we need to be able to um, empower our managers with. And and it's a big bang transformation. And and if you if, I've, I've spent a lot more time recently looking at organizational change management. And they say one of the biggest barriers to people adopting new ways of doing things is risk, you know, any risk. And when you do these big bang transformation, there's huge risk and that's a barrier. If you do a bunch of incremental, large, small changes and you create a culture of continuous improvement, that, that's a smaller risk. It's reversible. It's kind of like Tracy says, you can fail or learn quick and you can adjust and you can learn along the way. And I think what we're missing is, you know, we're trying to tell people what to do. And I've done this whole shift to teaching people the principles and the mm -hmm. approaches and making their process visible, letting them pick things that they'll champion and they'll make work and doing it in small incremental bits that they'll get excited and they can reverse and they can learn and adjust. And it seems to be getting a lot more success in terms of, teaching people how to analyze their processes and letting them pick instead of telling them what to do and seeing them resist the changes. You know, Gary, I think, I think we have made this repeated mistake over and over. Every time we introduce a change, it's about telling people that they're wrong and what they've been doing is wrong and it's bad. And people have learned, you know, through some, some hard knocks of the folks that come in and do that, they come and go, right? The last person that did that got fired, right? Because they ran up against this or their project failed or whatever. Um, and so it's more about like, let's take the things that we do really well and let's figure out how to do those even better. 
And as you were talking about, let's find the places where, you know, we're either creating a waste or there's a bottleneck there, or, you know, give people a common problem to work on, not Mm -hmm. a common enemy, (laughs) you, the change agent, um, you know, you're, you're, you're the person with the arrows in your back, right? You're running away from, from the last change project. But I think that's a, a, and it's always the shiny object, right? The next great thing that's going to solve all our problems. So if we just went all to cloud native, if we just all went to DevOps, if we just all went to agile, you know, it's, it's never that simple. It's how do we take the ideas that this have, this has and adopt it? in our way, in our style and to match what our objectives are. Because as soon as you create competing objectives, like the skunk works team is this to show everybody they're wrong. And this is the right way to do it. Well, poof, you've automatically, you failed already before you even get out of the gate. Yeah. And I think there's a bit of a misnomer in the term DevOps, because as soon as we say dev, we lean towards developers and we think, Oh, it's a coding initiative. But really, in business, we're all capable of developing something, whether we're developing a strategy or initiative or some way that we're going to take our business to market. You're doing something that would create a change in your organization. So then it's about how do I make sure that that change is quality and how do I measure the impact of that change? And so that I can know that I fail fast, because that's what I see is that we, we sometimes get too far into, well, it's more about the initiative and not about the measures. And we have to we have to have them both together. And we have to have this be a mentality that everybody is developing something for the organization. There's, there's so much fodder with what you just said. I was jotting down a, a couple of different things. Um, I wish I loved the term DevOps anymore. I don't anymore because it's another label. It's, it's an overloaded term. You're right that we are hyper-focused on dev. We leave the ops out of this. Yes, I know we're focusing on SRE and we're getting smart about ops, but we put so much pressure on the developers to go fast, right? That's what people say. Developers have to go faster. And we've been so hyper-focused on enabling that to happen. And that that doesn't help transformation. Um, And so then we say, well, what we'll do is we'll give you a maturity model. And with if you have a maturity model, then you can just figure out, you know, how DevOpsable you are. How DevOpsy are you? Because I've got a maturity model. So hater on the models. I do agree that it's great to have a metric or a measurement that matters as long as you know how to change it, right? You know what it means and you don't weaponize it. A buddy of mine, uh, Brian Finster, a lot of you guys know him. He'll talk about the weaponizing of of metrics. But I want to come back to something that y'all said about um, not trying to change a culture, but rather helping them to grow that culture, but teaching them. One of the things that I'm running into is depending on the organization, the individuals have muscle memory and I'm talking incredible muscle memory. So I'm finding that if I have that same pod and I don't insert some additional change agents, just mix up the group a little bit. I can't get the change that I want. And there have been some interesting studies about exactly that in the organizational change management area. If you have a group of 10 people and say, okay, guys, suddenly we're all going to start behaving differently because somebody has come in, come in and they've given us help and they've given us some guidance. What's the likelihood that that nine or 10 person group suddenly manifests without amazing amount of coaching and rigor and over the shoulder help? But imagine, or maybe you've been in that position where somebody joins, somebody new joins and they have an energy and they have a different perspective and they have a diverse way of coming at it. 
Well, then transformation starts. It's no different than a blended family, you know, family unit as it is, you bring somebody new in, somebody marries in and they have a different way of cooking. They have a different way of talking. They have a different way of doing something. And suddenly it's catching on and it's becoming part of the fabric of that family. I see DevOps transformation as kind of putting some additional spice in. We've got to have the scaffolding around it. We have to have that education that's out there, but we've got to have that, those catalysts, those humans that bring that energy to help propagate and to help the people around them. The developer who really gets it, that quality engineer who's really excited about things, the leader, right, who is out there able to fail publicly about something that they've done and, and really foot stomp when their team fails about how great it was that they're moving forward quickly to resolve that. So Gary, I'd be interested in, in your thoughts on, uh, especially if I saw you grimace when I said maturity model, um, interested to see what your thoughts are about measuring transformation. How, how do we start to measure transformation? So I've gotten to the point where I'm like you, I, I've quit using the word DevOps. I, I just, it's not that the principles don't work and they're ineffective, but I just, it's so balled up and a wrapped up image that I think in a lot of cases, it's not doing almost more harm than good. Mm-hmm. Um, two, I've, I've gotten to the point where I don't want to measure whether a team's doing DevOps and I don't want to do this because that assumes everybody's going on the same path. What I've tried to do is we're trying to make organizations more productive and more effective, and we're trying to get them to improve on a continuous basis. And we can't really measure throughput in some of the different things, but what I think I've gotten really good at doing is measuring the waste that slows down organizations. And so we make the waste visible. We, we teach people how to make their process visible, how to make the waste visible. And then we give them key metrics that show when I made this change, I removed this waste and inefficiencies. And as, as much as I fought the certification thing, I'm finally on board because I, I tried to emulate what was done in the, in the manufacturing where you've got a white belt where you get a basic knowledge, but to get a green belt or black belt, you've got to do an improvement project. Mm-hmm. And in that improvement project, I'm trying to, what I'm trying to do is motivate people to, to make a change, make an improvement. And when you do that, I'm trying to quantify the waste that they've removed from the organizations. And most of the improvements that I've seen so far, they're, they're removing like $50,000, $60,000 of annual waste a year in an improvement project. And they're able to go to the company in the organization and say, look at the waste that they removed. Can I go do another one? And people are going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go do another one. That made sense. Let's go do some more of those. And we're creating that culture of little changes one by one. And if they can get the executives to engage, the magnitude of the improvements that they're going after are just orders of magnitude higher because they're in a position to have a higher impact on the organization just because of where they sit and how they work across teams. The the surfacing of waste is so important. One of the Air Force groups that I'm working with, massive PMO, um, or should I say massive joint, it's actually a JPO, a joint PMO with, with six massive PMOs underneath it. And we strategically went through and we did, I call it rapid value streaming. It's not Lean Six Sigma official value stream mapping. 
but it was getting together and we had to be remote, but using mural and talking through their processes very at a very high level, just to surface it. It was about two 90 minute sessions, just enough that people were like, huh, look at that. And allowing their own stories to hit them in the face in a very, in a very open and, and engaging way. So we didn't want to indict anybody, but it was having them tell that story together. And it was surprising just that three hours, how much that meant. And we did that with each one of these PMOs, how much they learned from that to help them directionally. And there's a lot of other massive um, challenges with acquisition and policy and other things that they have to deal with. But your point of identify where the waste was, seeing something go into an inbox, an inbox as an attachment, a Word doc attachment, and knowing that it was sitting there for 18 to 25 days because there weren't enough humans to even look in the inbox. Those are some of the things that you don't even think about as impacting a value stream or the delivery of a flow. There's so many, so many amazing twists and turns that you get into with that. Gary, do you, um, and I guess I should ask everybody, are you, when you're looking to identify waste, what are some of the techniques that you're using to identify waste? I, I, I tend to map the deployment pipeline and some people would call it value stream mapping. But value stream mapping assumes you're doing one thing at a time. And in software, when you get into the build release process, you're doing it as a group. Yeah. Right. And so I think there's a lot of errors that a lot of people make when they value stream map that don't highlight the types of things that slow software organizations down. So I do I do value stream mapping, kind of, but I, I map the deployment pipeline and okay. I and I kind of put some metrics on the requirements process. And I use that to make it visible. And, you know, if you can do what you did and get the executives to take the time to understand their processes and make it visible, you're, you're, you're like orders of magnitude ahead of anybody else who's going to do this type of stuff. It's, to me, it's so important that, you know, if, if, if I've got a company that's willing to do a prototype and they can get the executives to sit down and go through my training, I'll give them the white belt training away just so that they can get a line and see it. And, and or, I, I had an organization come the other day that Brian Finster sent me to them and uh, they came up and they sort of said, uh, we're, we're thinking about surveying our culture and doing the cultural survey as the start of our DevOps. And it was like, what do you want to do? And I finally stopped. I said, here, take this free training and go off and do it. And, and, and they had three executives go off and do it. And they came back together and said, I can't believe how well it aligned our thinking. We had this disconnect and we were all seeing it from our own perspective view. And as we took this training, it aligned our thinking. If you can get the executives to do that, I think you're going to be, the probability of success for, for seeing results is going to be orders of magnitude higher. And, you know, I'm at this point in the career where, yeah, I do it for a living, but I'm trying to help as many people as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. And I worked with David Farley to help with the technical side. And, and we're trying to figure out how do we, now that we're at this point in our career, if we can digitize our knowledge, we can help a lot more people, we can help them more cheaply, and they can go off and do these things. And then they can do it for themselves. And if they do it for themselves, they'll embrace their ideas and they'll make their ideas successful. So, right. Teach a man to fish. Teach a man to fish. I'm curious. Um, yes. um, let me kind of throw a little wrinkle in this. 
This okay. sa- this sounds like a very kind of well thought out methodical process, and I think there are a lot a lot of a lot of it is. What about organizations that are under great threat? We have a lot of companies who their supply chain is a total mess, right? And they're scrambling to get new suppliers in place, new transportation. If it might, you know, if you're on that part of it, you know, there's a lot of organizations who are dealing with either market threats, just even operational threats. You know, and so they can't go back and let's look at the next piece of waste, or, or maybe that is a, a method. I was going to say, use, I think that I think we're talking scenario. about exactly the same. What thing, do you Mitch? do that when you know the you know what's hitting the wall, and you got to like make something happen right now? At least that's what management's going to come to you and say. We may not have jobs tomorrow. Go fix this. Yeah, I, I think it goes to what Gary is saying. Like, look at look at your release pipeline, and, and what I see a lot of is this idea of an, what I call an avocado release, which is. You get, you know, you have all these people do this work, and then it gets to this decision about whether you go or no go. And people hold on to it like an avocado. They're like, "Is it ready? Is it ready? Is it ready?" Oh, it went bad. We got to get it out there. And you don't have this confidence in your organization, and that's where a lot of this waste comes in to make that decision to have that go no go be, you know, something that's almost automated to a sense of here's the report, here's the impact make the decision and move. Um, and that's where these, these companies are struggling from a supply chain perspective. If I'm going to hire a new vendor and I have to get 10, 12 sign-offs and it takes two months, those transportation vendors are in high demand right now. So by the time I get my signatures on paper, they might be gone. There you are. They're, they're busy. Right? <laughs> but at the end of the day, doesn't it all track back to identifying what your set of whys are? You've got an imperative. You've got to solve it. It's not going to be lather, rinse, repeat for everybody. If you have a supply chain issue, a software supply chain or, or firm goods, it doesn't matter. If that is your issue and your challenge, then you're going to turn, gaze at that and you're going to turn at it fast and you're going to say, what's the waste, right? To, to Gary's point, looking at that, it might not be a, a DevOps pipeline, but if I'm looking at how fast it takes to get information into me, how fast does it take for us to sign that up? We're going to apply the same type of, of thinking, um, Mitch. So I, I don't see that imperative as being any different than the software is failing in production, or I can't get a new user onto it. It's another risk or challenge, and it gets prioritized at the, at the top of the list and all eyes are on that to solve it together. Um, Gary, something that you and, and William both said really resonates with me. And it comes back to that education piece. I'm at that same point where um, my goal is to share experience stories, get the information out there so that people are educated because it's when the taxonomy is not shared, when we don't have a common lexicon. I mean, why do certifications matter? Well, the reason the certifications matter often is so we're speaking the same language. And why sometimes will I look for particular certifications? Not that I know that the person can actually do the particular type of task coding, but at least I know they know the words. I mean, and there, I think that there's merit in us thinking about getting to those lexicons, common lexicons that we, you know, what is DevOps? Oh, I'm not even getting down that path. But if we can, in our, in our own sphere of influence, get to some more common terminology, augment that with the right types of education so that people can consume this and they can get on a level playing field, we're going to see continued growth and transformation. And that's, that's at the end of the day. And that's what we're trying to do. 
And I want to go back to a little bit what mentioned. I think the habit that the executives get into is I've got this burning fire and I'm just going to beat up the teams and I'm going to beat the teams mm-hmm. until they work mm-hmm. harder. And I had a group of executives go through this training and the senior vice president stepped back and said, I had no idea of what people were dealing with on a day-to-day basis was getting in their way of delivering. And if they don't have any idea of what's getting in the way of the organization delivering, they're going to continue to focus in on, we got to put this fire out. We got to put this fire out. We got to put this. And so a big part is getting them to step back and get visibility of the things that are slowing them down. And if they, if they're driving the dev team like crazy to continue to create more stuff and they're doing manual testing, you know, they've got an unsustainable process. Because, you know, DevCrate writes 100, 100 lines of code and Tess has to test 100,000, 100 lines of code. That's iteration one. Iteration two, you got 100 more lines of code and QA has to test 200 lines of code, right? It just doesn't work, right? You've got you've to get past that. But if they don't see that and they don't have appreciation for what the teams are going through and what's slowing the organization mm-hmm. down, they're going to do nothing but what you said, Mitch, which was beat on what the business is beating on them to get delivered. Mm-hmm. And the key is, how do we get these executives to slow down and take the time to understand what's getting in the way of getting what they really want? You know, there's, there's you know, nothing ahead. like a crisis to get people to <laughs> like rally around at times. Now, if it's manufactured crisis and it's uh, the 52nd crisis this year of the week, you know, that's that's only what you're describing too. I think one of the things that whether it's a crisis or not, when you can rally people around a set of challenges, set of problems, you know, we're really, okay. Our objective, well, let me, let me give you a real example. I've gone through two transformations, you know, both involving cloud and DevOps. Mm -hmm. And they were both because there were conditions that changed and what we were targeting, how we were shooting for wasn't the same target anymore. And um, one of them was we had moved to a much more cash-sensitive company, changed the structure of the company. So we couldn't invest in hardware, et cetera. And so we said, okay, this isn't really 100% true, but let's pretend for a moment we don't have cash. I mean, we don't have money to go buy lots of hardware, and we want to figure out, could we leverage the cloud? And it, and it wasn't a gun to our head, but it was a let's do that scenario and figure out what we do. Or we need to change how we're, we're developing software because while we have a monolith application, there's part of it that we really would like to be able to, to change more quickly and iterate on and do some new services around. So you can use, and sometimes it is a gun to your head, you know, everybody's going to be working from home next Monday, so figure it out. Um, but you can use those kind of rallying cries to say, okay, this is the problem we want to work on. What could we do? Well, uh, it's pushed by circumstance happen? or pulled by a dream, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Characteristic, circumstance or dream. Uh, you know, tracking back to something that Gary said and Mitch that you brought up, um, the education part of this is important. We're, there's a, a group of us that go across um, industry, government, um, academia, who have been meeting and talking about how do we very rapidly expose the leaders to a day in the life in their organization? Because it's not going to be lather, rinse, repeat. And Gary, I know you have some really incredible uh, training and education that are coming out that you've been working on with Dave. Um, and I'm excited to, to see if that's something that I can leverage in this space. But that is becoming one of our rallying cries is exposure. 
simply walk a mile in the moccasins. They don't have to do hands-on all-day development, but I want them to see what it's like to get those, their priorities changed. You have a sprint, but now you're telling me that I have to change up everything that I'm doing. You're forcing me to go faster and faster, and you're only worried about my velocity and my burn down, and you're not thinking about sustainability. You're not thinking about the quality of my, you're not thinking about the fact that you want me to dev sec ops and I'm a hobbyist. I haven't been trained as a cyber expert. I don't know secure coding standards. I mean, there's a lot that we're putting onto them and we need to educate those leaders a day in the life. I think a day in the life, the other way might be helpful as well. So how do the developers, how do the design teams, how do folks who are delivering, how do they understand the stresses, the pressures, and the strategies that the leaders have to undertake. Because I think that there's both sides of it need a little bit of that cross understanding, but it is going to have to start with the leaders who are <laughs> have the bigger stick and make sure that the way, they understand. I, so Tracy, I don't think it's just two sides. I, you know, this was a, a, a technique, I forgot who I heard it from with people who do DevOps, you know, consultations and, and, and consulting, which is have, have someone from the ops side spend a week as a dev have someone as a dev go over to the cyber team for a, a couple days right have a leader do the manager's role or have the leader do you know a non-leader role have the single contributor do a lead. like empathy right it, it, it's one of the cornerstones of of whether you want to call it devops or not it's one of the cornerstones here was empathy and can you i don't know if you could really empathize until you've walked a mile as Tracy said, in those moccasins. And, you know, I, I think it goes across all of these kind of, you know, uh, I don't want to use the word silos, but all these kinds of roles that we're talking about. Um, it, it would, because I think you need empathy for respect, and you've got to respect what every single person, human, on that team does. Um, I grabbed the last word because it's my prerogative. We're way over time, guys, but I didn't want to stop you. Uh, shocking. Anyway, Tracy, Gary, William, thank you so much for being our guest panel on this DevOps Unbound. We probably could have done three shows today and still not covered everything, but uh, it, was, it was a great show. Mitchell, I'll give you the last word if you want to uh, wrap it up and we'll, we'll sign off. Well, I, I, I just am uh, in awe of the wisdom and experience that um, everyone on the panel is bringing to this, and there's a lot of good lessons here. Um, if I walked away with one, one nugget, it's stop for just a moment and think. Take in, let's take in what we're doing and make sure we're focusing on the right things or make sure that we're learning what we can do to work on the next set of right things. And I think that's, if I had to summarize in just a general way, I think that's a lot of what uh, William, Gary, and Tracy have said today. So thank you all for that very much. Okay. We'll be back in two weeks with another DevOps Unbound episode. Until then, good luck. Be well. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day, everyone. Bye-bye.